I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, August 11th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a deadline approaches for veterans exposed to burn pits and other toxins to receive retroactive benefits. Then hot and dry conditions are elevating the risk for wildfires in Mississippi. Plus, an event of Jurassic proportions comes to the capital city. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Veterans exposed to toxic substances during their service have until Monday to qualify for retroactive benefits. The PACT Act, signed into law last year, expands disability benefits to veterans exposed to burn pits, Agent Orange, and other toxic substances. Exposure to these substances has been linked to a variety of illnesses, including nearly a dozen forms of cancer. Wednesday was initially the deadline for veterans veterans and survivors to file a claim in order to qualify for the benefits, but that deadline has been extended to Monday due to technical issues with the VA's website. John Kirby, National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications, says the legislation removes barriers to care. It um, takes the, the, the burden of proof off the veteran to, to, to to prove and establish a direct connection between their service and the disabilities resulting from what we call military environmental exposures, you know, such as burn pits. Um, we, they, those barriers are now removed, and, and, and it can help ensure that the veterans get the care and the services they deserve. So, I mean, there's also an expanded list now of illnesses that might qualify for uh, toxic agent exposure. Um, obviously, cancer is one of them, but there are others as well, and uh, we want to make sure vets know that if they served uh, overseas in an area where particularly there were burn pits um, and that they, are feel, they, that they are suffering from some of these illnesses, uh, that they may qualify. Um, and if they haven't already asked to get screened by the VA, we encourage them to reach out to their local uh, VA office and VA hospital uh, treatment facility uh, and go get screened. At the VA Medical Center in Jackson, Dr. Phyllis Hallenbeck administers screenings to veterans experiencing exposure-related illnesses. She talks to MPB's Will Stribling about caring for those patients and how the PACT Act offers them some relief. In the state of Mississippi, we have a lot of veterans who were in Vietnam and they were exposed to Agent Orange. 
Um, there are a lot of diagnoses that have already been connected to Agent Orange exposure, and even last year, the VA added two more diagnoses. Uh, the veterans, those veterans have conditions that are incredibly serious, diabetes, coronary artery disease, um, and different cancers, including lung and prostate. We have a huge cohort now, starting actually from the 1990-91 first Gulf War, and now for the last 20 years of war in Southwest Asia. Uh, and these people have been exposed to multiple chemicals in their Gulf War work, but they've also been exposed repeatedly on, re on many deployments to terrible airborne hazards, including burn pits. And so with the, the PACT Act being signed into law last year, how has this made the process easier uh, for veterans to get the get benefits, you know, if they're or if they're dealing with these these kinds of ailments, and in your experience, has it made them more aware that oh, I am eligible and 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 owed care because of this for you know what I've went through and what I'm dealing with now because of of what I was exposed to during my service. Right, right. Well, the PACT Act it stands for Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxics. So it, the P part, the promise is it goes back to Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. Uh, the PACT Act for the veterans is validating all those concerns uh, about what happened to me and what, what I might develop medically. It, it, it is increasing the better diagnosis of their con, you know, associated conditions. So it's better ongoing comprehensive care here. And that diagnosis of exposure goes right on their problem list in their chart, in their medical chart. And it also has made it um, easier and for patients to understand what they can apply for for additional benefits. And, you know, disability benefit payments can be life-changing for many people. Um, so the burn pit, the large cohort of burn pit exposed veterans, many of them are coming in. They don't, they, they think that chronic runny nose and terrible shortness of breath asthma symptoms are just sort of normal. They haven't mentioned it sometimes to even their primary care physician or nurse practitioner. So I'm educating them that and I'm getting the specific kinds of, you know, tests that we need so we can treat them with and get a more precise diagnosis. That makes a big difference to people. Yeah. And that's and so and what in your experience, what is the attitude of these veterans about dealing with these 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 sort of, of chronic and sometimes very serious illnesses um, because of this exposure? Uh, that's a very good question. I would say that the, the Vietnam veterans, uh, they had been suspicious of, you know, messaging from the VA that goes back to, you know, how they were treated when they came home. Uh, the younger veterans, or the, and especially the last 20 years, that cohort, um, They've been sometimes frightened by how bad they feel. Um, it's reassuring for them to have somebody say, this, these symptoms are real and here's your diagnosis. And also, I tell them, we can do things so you can get your life back. So if you're a young veteran in your 40s and you're short of breath, you want to be able to get your breath back so you can run after your kids, um, take care of your life. And they're very happy about that. It is truly making the veterans who are a little suspicious of VA medical care understand it's really excellent comprehensive care. Um, 
I know that also what I'm doing when I'm looking at charts, I'm actually, you know, looking at the whole chart lab work and several times I've had patients where I was able to also catch some other conditions um, that, that are going on. And that that's a, a bonus because not only are they getting, you know, diagnosis and proper treatment and uh, understanding of their medical conditions from their exposures, but their overall health care gets improved when you have another set of eyes on the chart. Well, Dr. Halavec, um thank you so much for your time and, and for the work that you're doing. It's really important. Well, like I tell the veterans, it's, uh, it's a humble honor, honestly, to be able to take care of the veterans and also uh, they're why we're here. That's what it says VA Hospital, VA Medical Center. They're why we're here. Dr. Phyllis Hollenbeck is a physician at the VA Medical Center in Jackson. Coming up, hot and dry conditions are elevating the risk for wildfires in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. In 1926, the Mississippi Forestry Commission was created. One of its two primary responsibilities is wildfire control and protection. Those duties are front and center as much of Mississippi is experiencing long periods of hot and dry conditions. Russell Bowman is the state forester. He says the Forest Commission responds on average to 2,000 wildfires that burn up 30,000 acres every year. He talked to our Michael Guidry about what goes into managing wildfire prevention and response in the Magnolia State. When it comes to wildfire, um, we are the only state agency that responds, that is the, the statutory responsibility uh, to respond to wildland fire on everything but federal lands. We do have agreements with the feds. We do assist our federal partners on wildfire response on their lands. But we are the responsible agency to suppress and control wildland fires on Mississippi lands. Everybody can kind of anecdotally walk outside and every day think about their week and, oh, man, it's been really dry. We haven't had a lot of rain. Um, but I, I imagine making those determinations is a lot more empirical. So, like, what, what, what data drives or informs how you govern the things you've just laid out? Very good question. We, we pay a lot of attention to the weather. We uh, work a lot with the National Weather Service. Um, in fact, as an agency, we have 13 weather stations throughout the state that helps feed the National Weather Service system, particularly when it refers to wildfire potential weather. So the National Weather Service um, will calculate something called the keach Barham Drought Index, and that is a drought monitor um, that monitors across the entire nation uh, 
how long it's been since there's been any measurable precipitation, um, what the humidity levels have been during that duration, what the wind events have been. It, it monitors the entire spectrum when it comes to weather. And then it assigns a drought number to those conditions. Um, the drought monitor goes all the way up to 800, uh, starts at zero, obviously, and then goes up to 800. When things start getting above 500, we start paying a lot of attention. When the drought index gets between six and 700, we start seeing an increase in wildfire activity, um, not just the number of wildfires, but the fire behavior itself. Um, but that's we start having those communications, uh, start talking with the counties, the county emergency management directors, uh, the county fire coordinators. Uh, they're letting us know what they're seeing. We're letting them know what we're seeing. Uh, so there's a lot of communication that starts taking place once those KBDIs start getting elevated. Typically, also, when the KBDIs, when the drought index starts getting above 600, that's when you'll start seeing burn bans start coming on. The county will vote to put on a burn ban. They'll send it over to us, um, and then we verify the burn ban and sign off on it. And once once it gets my signature, it goes onto our website, and the county has an active burn ban. <clears throat> you can go to our website, um, mfc.ms.gov, and it'll give you all the information about those burn bans. It'll tell you when they came on, um, when they will expire, and whether or not there are any exemptions. Uh, when when things get to this point, how much does that interfere with, with the work that you do in preventing and re- retaining fires with, like through controlled burns, through prescribed burns? Does it, does it set you back? You know, at the end of the day, it, it depends on what the objective of that fire is and what the fuel load is for that prescribed fire. You know, the, the thing with prescribed fire, that's, that we are setting the fire under conditions that, that we need. Typically, when it gets like this, we will be doing less prescribed burning because we know starting at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon when it's gotten hot, you know, I mean, the heat of the day is upon us, the wind starts moving more in the afternoons, we know we're going to end up being dispatched to wildfires. So we're not starting a whole lot of fires ourselves this time of year because the same personnel that do the prescribed fire is the same personnel that's going to go put out the wildfire people who have a, a general familiarity with the layout of the state know, you know, especially below I-20, you know, a very forested area. What is it about the density and the type of forestry we have in parts of the state uh, that make it dangerous when we reach these kinds of drought levels? Well, when it starts getting this dry, it is any fuel type, whether it's pine, hardwood, um, agricultural fields, whatever it may be. I mean, that, you know, any, anything when it gets this dry um, can can pose a risk. Uh, I mean, it could just be a hay field that hadn't been mowed yet. The a big part of the state in, in the southern part, you know, southern half of the state, we kind of call it the pine belt down there. Pine is a very pyric ecosystem. Pines actually love fire. That's why their bark is as thick as it is. In fact, there are some pine species that the cones will not even open up and drop the seed until a fire has run through the stand. So hmm. that's why pine needles burn so well. Pine needles are, are very pyric in themselves. They burn very well. Uh, pines love fire. So when a wildfire hits those stands, um, it because it's already a pyric ecosystem, it 
will burn will will burn a little bit harder than than a traditional hardwood stand. But at the same time, when it starts getting this dry, you'll have we'll have problems in all of the different forested ecosystems. Uh, another problem that we run into sometimes, especially in the southern half of the state, uh, there's a non-native invasive species called Kogan grass. It's an Asian grass uh, that's been over here for a while, uh, but has has spread up throughout the state. And it's a non-native invasive species. It grows extremely thick. It grows pretty tall, but it burns very hot. And, and the fire intensity uh, will increase, and it'll become a little more erratic uh, when it hits that non-native invasive species. Often see, you know, cartoons, a lightning strikes a tree, and all of a sudden a uh, a forest fire just kind of goes up a blaze, and uh, I think it's safe to say that's that's hyperbolic. Well, what I'd like to ask you um, is, when it comes to wildfires catching on and, and becoming a threat, what role does the human factor play versus the natural factor? Very good question. So I'll tell you, nine out of ten wildfires in Mississippi are human-caused. Another way to say that is nine out of ten fires in Mississippi are preventable. So whether it's debris burning, that's usually one of our biggest um, causes for wildfire. Somebody had a you know a pile of debris in their backyard and limbs. You know they were cleaning up the yard, piled up a bunch of limbs, set them on fire. Probably walked away, went back inside to get something to drink or whatever. The fire crawls through the yard, gets into the woods behind the house, and then it's off to the races. The wind's pushing it through the forest stand. But then when you start getting this dry, like if you're driving down the road and you see a bunch of crunchy dead grass right on the side of the highway, sparks from chains, like the safety chains on a trailer behind a truck, Mm. sparks from, from vehicles going up and down the road can actually start a fire on the side of the road or somebody, somebody flipping a cigarette out of a, out of a moving vehicle, you know, that, that, that ember is still in that cigarette and lands out in the dry grass there's always a lot of wind next to the highway because either vehicles passing or, or the fact that it's an open right-of-way and, and wind's naturally moving down it and it'll start pushing the fire and it'll get into the woods and, again, we it's off to the races. So it could be something as simple as throwing charcoal ashes out of a grill. Um, make sure the, the ashes are out before you dump the grill, um, things like that. Um, especially when it comes to open open outdoor burning like fire pits or campfires and, and things like that. Russell Bozeman, state forester for the state of Mississippi, um, on wildfires, retaining, preventing, especially in, in times like this when um, when the, the drought index is high. Thank you so much for, for sharing all this information with us. Absolutely, Michael. I encourage people to visit our website. Um, they will tell you what burn bans are in place. They they come on quick, so if, if you're going to be doing any outdoor activities, we recommend visiting our website first to see if that area, if that county is under a burn ban. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Have a good day. There are currently five burn bans in effect. They are in Marion, Covington, Walthall, Amid, and Lawrence counties. Coming up, an event of Jurassic proportions comes to the capital city. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB. Think Radio. Connect with the people looking to connect with you. Become an underwriter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash more slash underwriting.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. It's been millions of years since dinosaurs roamed the planet, but a traveling exhibit coming to the Jackson metro area tries to give visitors a sense of what it could be like to encounter some of those prehistoric beasts. Wow. We speak with Ranger Marty of Jurassic Quest. There are many things where you can learn about different dinosaurs, and that's one of the key things that we love at Jurassic Quest because we don't want to be just entertaining, but we also want to be educational. And I always call dinosaurs the gateway science uh, for kids because if your kid's into dinosaurs, all of a sudden they find that they're learning about different sciences like biology, geology, astronomy, all just because they think dinosaurs are cool. So I always encourage uh, parents that have kids that are into dinosaurs to encourage them to be into dinosaurs because it will help them later in school. So what makes this different from going to a museum? So it's much more interactive than a museum. Uh, You're typically uh, closer, and it's uh, got a lot more activities than a museum would have. So whereas museums are great at the science, uh, they kind of lack in the fun. Are there any exhibits or any programming that relate to Mississippi and fossils or some type of archaeological aspects of discovery that happened here that are going to be shown? So uh, the fossil exhibit table will probably have megalodon teeth, and that is a, a large shark that could have been found in the southern regions of Mississippi. But Mississippi would have been underwater, or a good portion of it would have been underwater at the time of the dinosaurs. And so we don't find a whole lot of dinosaur fossils in Mississippi. Um, And since our show primarily consists of dinosaurs, not a whole lot specific to Mississippi, but still a lot of things that people from Mississippi will enjoy. Give us some type of timeline for when dinosaurs roam the earth yeah we always picture dinosaurs being on the earth kind of at the same time it's just like you know you see a movie with a t-rex fighting a stegosaurus or something but they were on the planet for a long time about 240 million years ago to about 66 million years ago and that's just for the non-avian or non-bird dinosaurs we now know that birds are also technically dinosaurs so from 240 million years ago till today, we have, bir- or we have dinosaurs on the planet. Uh, and some of those dinosaurs were really far stretched out. So there's more distance between a stegosaurus and a T-Rex than there is between a T-Rex and us. So if you see a movie with a T-Rex fighting a stegosaurus, it's less accurate than the movie with a T-Rex fighting humans. Because different dinosaurs were on the earth at different times. Exactly, and they evolved into different shapes. In the Triassic, dinosaurs would have had pretty much a similar body type. There were a few different lineages of them uh, that uh, had come from the archosaurs, um, but then they started to diversify, and then by the Jurassic, they got much larger, and then by the Cretaceous, they got even more diverse. And so at the end time, when they all, uh, except for the bird-like ones, died out, uh, there are a lot of different animals that were evolving to be different, and yet they all, you know, were, most were wiped out. Like yeah. crocodilians, uh, you think of a basic crocodile, it was around towards the beginning time of the dinosaurs as well, 
Um, and the base models survived the extinction, but crocodiles evolved too. There were some crocodiles that developed very long legs so they could spend more of their time on land and run faster. There was one that even became uh, an herbivore, so a plant-eating crocodile. And, uh, but those all died off at the extinction event about 66 million years ago. Too bad. So you are sure trying does. to foster a new generation of paleontologists. I am, or at least people with a love of dinosaurs and a love of science. Um, I think science really helps our uh, society grow. And even if you just think it's, you know, dinosaurs are cool, if later on you're into science, you might help in other major ways that help society. Well, Ranger Marty, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and giving us some idea of what's going to be taking place. And this, again, give us the days. Uh, It's going to be August 11th through the 13th at the Jackson Convention Complex. And it's Friday, 12 to 8, Saturday, 9 to 8, and Sunday, 9 to 7. All right. Thank you so much again for your time. Oh, thanks for your time and uh, talking about Jurassic Quest. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.